Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Coming Up Next. Whether you're streaming or downloading the show, I am uh, very grateful for your listenership. And if this is your first time tuning in, you can find the entire back catalogue of Coming Up Next podcast rambles as we approach three years. That's a, that's a lot of rambles, and they're all available at comingupnext.com.au, where you can also find uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean links So you can subscribe to the show, and then from now on, you'll get it in your pocket each and every week. Big thank you to my guest last week, to Anna Brownfield, for coming on the show and talking about her journey as a feminist erotic filmmaker. A unique point of view on the filmmaking industry and process, uh, and you can check that out as well at, you got it, comingupnext.com.au. Goran Stalevsky is my guest this week. Goran won the jury prize at Sundance uh, this year, just gone, for his short film, Would You Look at Her? He's got another short debuting at uh, the Sydney Film Festival, which is coming up soon. We speak about both of those. Uh, We talk about being a writer for TV. We talk about directing in the last season of Nowhere Boys. We talk about the usual philosophical musing slash ramblings. So let's get into it right now. Coming up next with Goran Stalevsky. I, I need something that like takes up 14 hours of my brain space every day for like a solid three months yeah. <laughs> to solve it. Like I just sort of, yeah, I mean the script I finished two days ago, I've been kind of um, on, on and off. It's been a year and a half, but like it, it's usually like a solid before it, it was a treatment, which took about two or three weeks. And then like the actual writing of the drafts took about a month. Um, and it was always, even when I wasn't doing it, it's always at the back of my head. And it was kind of the driving force. And I knew, you know, if I got up in the morning, if there's no meetings or things, I had that uh, to sort of shape my day um, and night. Like, I can, you know, easily spend 12 hours just doing that sometimes. But, um, yeah, no, now I wake up and I'm like, oh, all this free time all of a sudden. It's so disorienting. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I guess coming off the back of, is this a feature that you're that you've just finished writing the script Yeah, for? yeah, yeah. The 10th one I finished writing. Right, the 10th one. Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess coming off the back of that, coming off the back of directing a block for Nowhere Boys and the kind of uh, high you were probably riding from being at um, Sundance as well. Mm, mm, yeah. Sort of, you would just come to a kind of grinding halt or like a kind of crash, wouldn't you? Because there's no, it's not like it's kind of incrementally going down. It's just like one day it all stops. Basically, yeah. No, like, because I flew, um, even before Sundance, I was um, do, I was doing the preparation meetings for Nora Boys at the same time as I was editing the short film for Lexus. It's going to premiere in Sydney. Um, and I finished that film like Friday night and then Saturday morning I flew out to to L.A., and then moved on to Sundance three days later. And then from Park City, I flew back into Melbourne on like whatever date it was. I, f- I arrived in the morning. I was in the production office for Nora Boys in the afternoon. And then that gig continued through to 
um, you know, pre-production and then filming and post. And then as soon as it was over, I pretty much had like, you know, a month to finish a feature screenplay and also start it. <laughs> it was the treatment at that stage. Um, and yeah, I finished that two days ago. It was actually due end of the month. So I beat the deadlines. Technically, I could, you know, pretend I'm still working on it, but it's finished. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So now was a, I don't even know what day of the week it is, but I know Tuesday I woke up and I was like, all right, so what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> sort of, I haven't had this in five months. I just, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And I guess it seems to me that you're the sort of creative who just kind of obsesses over their, their craft. And oh, their that comes across quickly, does it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just from looking at your body of work, you've made 24 short films. 25. Tw- tw- that was the 25th. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the one I finished the night before. Yeah. No, the Sundance one was the 24th. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the Lexus one was the 25th? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and last, I hope. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a career that's. 12 years old although that probably feels like a long time to you i mean i don't know too many people who've been as prolific to make 25 shorts and write 10 features as well as probably a myriad of other jobs that you've done yeah yeah i mean mostly the jobs were unrelated to the film industry i haven't actually um the first time i got paid for writing and directing was um yeah, I mean, apart from doing like little note-taker gigs in writers' rooms, the first time I actually paid to direct anything was Nova Boys. And the first time I paid to write something was this screenplay, it was the Screen Australia grant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the other stuff I was doing was actually day jobs most of the time. Um, completely unrelated to filmmaking, so... You worked in a video shop? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Wow, Julia stole you all my secrets. Um, our mutual friend. Um, <laughs> yes, I did work in a video in show. Video easy. I assume that was like last year. And uh, no, that was two thousand and five. <laughs> yeah, that was when I was second year in university. But what was eerie is um, then uh, I, I made friends recently with someone who works at Matchbox Pictures. Um, she was an assistant, I guess, um, um, and she's a writer herself and. Uh, filmmaker and she's amazing but um yeah no we were kind of like we realized we ran into each other a year ago so we kind of knew each other but then like it gradually emerged that she was also one of my customers at video easy rosanna in 2005 as a 10 year old (laughs) and she remembered me from that time i mean i unfortunately did not remember her but like yeah so that um i've spent so much more time talking about video easy Rosanna in the last few weeks than I have like in 10 years it's funny but yeah that was one of the day jobs yeah and I remember once actually um it was I think my uh third year major production and like we just finished filming it and it was all on like one tape all the footage and like I had to go pretty much on set from set straight to work um which was also in Rosanna but um yeah, and like my, I stored my bag in the place where you know the separate section that we had for stuff that we would you know where we would st- storage for like our stuff. I don't know why I can't speak English all of a sudden, <laughs> but um, yeah, as, there's a guy. I caught a guy trying to steal my bag with the you know all the footage on it, which was you know months and months worth of work. Um, so yeah, that's what I just remembered about Video Easy Rosanna. Yeah. It, it almost yeah, I almost would have had to start again. 
um, and it was a massive production at the time. You probably thought it was like some new film that you just couldn't get on the shelf. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking. I'm pretty sure he was in a desperate state. Um, right. Because really, to be stealing the backpack of like a 20-year-old video easy clerk, I'm like, yeah, there was really nothing of value to anyone else in the world in there. But um, that's what I just remembered about Video Easy Arizona. That's such a, I haven't thought about that in 10 years either. Yeah. We're going deep, man. We are <laughs> getting, getting deep quickly. Yeah. yeah. You're from Macedonia originally. Yes. <laughs> it's so another thing that, like, you know, no, 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 it's not. Uh, um, I mean, you know, I'm not disenchanted by my Macedonian specifically. It's just, um, again, something I don't really concentrate on in my day-to-day life, except it comes up now a lot when I'm doing interviews for things. Right. Because um, I guess people are always looking for the thing that sort of Point defines of you or sets you apart. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've spent a lot of time talking about Macedonian as that, you know, I hadn't for ages. Um, but yeah, no, I am from Macedonia. And, and to be fair, the film that went to Sundance was a Macedonian production that I shot over there. So that's another reason I've had to be talking, talking about my Macedonian-ness a lot. Yeah, right. Was that the first production that you did over there? Yeah, 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 it was. Um, hopefully not the last. I'm waiting to hear back about a feature there now. Um, but yeah, that was the first time. And how old were you when you moved over to um, Australia? I was 12 when I came here, but I, I go back a lot um, and definitely used to when I was younger. But um, I was living in the UK for two years as well recently. And, you know, I went to Macedonia, obviously partly because I was making a film there. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't. it feels like I never left sometimes. And sometimes it feels like I never lived there at all. So, yeah. I have a nine-day maximum most of the time. After nine days in that country, I have to kind of just leave. Otherwise, I start kind of <laughs> combusting spontaneously. But um, I do go there a lot for nine-day stays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I assume you moved over with your parents. Yeah. yeah. What were they doing at the time that they brought you over here? Um, oh, just... Mm-hmm. I, I, it's it's funny like I, I met this girl from ukraine who's like uh, you'll never get an eastern european asking you why you moved to australia <laughs> from eastern europe because it's just duh. Um, no like i mean my parents just wanted to move to a western developed economy i guess is what it was and uh, we had a relative here so it was one of the easier kind of places to base yourself um it wasn't a specific, like, it's not like my dad got an amazing job or anything. He was a factory worker here and in Macedonia. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was just a general basic migrant story. Yeah. And you, did you and you moved straight to Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what was school like, I guess, by comparison to... Oh, my God. Um, it was very different. I, I know that. Um like, you know, I was doing trigonometry in year five maths in Macedonia, more or less. And then when I arrived to my first class in year six in Australia, it was the art class. And we had to draw a baby in space. <laughs> uh, and it was just like, and I just remember, and I, I did speak English when I arrived. Um, and it was a ca- case of like, I was told what the assignment was. And I'm like, I'm sorry, a baby in space? And they're like, yes, like a baby. In... And I'm just like, no, I understand the words of what you're saying. That was not it's more philosophically, the part that was confusing it. me. It's more just, okay, um, and when do we get homework and do like, I don't know, things that are useful to life? Um, 
So yeah, I just remember like you could not get bigger culture shock going from trigonometry to like literally like you douse your hand in glue and just make shapes on paper and I I don't know it was a very disorienting experience. It would be a big culture shock. Yes, yes, it was. Um, but yeah, Imagine um, I going guess, the other way. I know. Oh my god, I I don't want to. <laughs> Because <laughs> here, at least, they're nice to you. <laughs> right. In Macedonia, they would not be nice to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. I mean, it wasn't bad. Or, like, I do appreciate, like, it, it, I, one of the main things I have to adjust is, like, going from a, you know, post-socialist system, which is very much rote learning of, you know, with said d- disciplinary I don't know. It's very much very traditional, and it's not about like independent thinking or inter- encouraging you to be imaginative or creative. To uh, you know, the education system that very much prizes you, kind of forming your own brain and opinions and things. Um, I, I think you need a little bit of both, um, and I'm glad I got a little bit of both. But yeah, no, I, I prefer going in this direction rather than going back. I did not even <laughs> want to think about that. That's terrifying. You're yeah. going to give me nightmares. You have given me nightmares. I'm having them tonight. Well, it was bound to happen eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when you when was the first time that you kind of can remember wanting to be in the entertainment industry? Um, I I was kind of I, I read a lot of books when I was little before we even came here, and I remember kind of vaguely imagining like I did used to write short stories and little other um, I don't know I guess you'd call them nursery rhymes or things poems would be way too big a word for it um so i was always very creative but it was always like um and i remember talking to my parents saying oh i'd love to be a writer one day but they were like that's something you do on the side you should also get a job um in the nicest possible way like they've always been very supportive and encouraging um so i guess that's the earliest inkling and then when i moved to australia actually i started um we got like a half price voucher for like the cinema and i started watching films obsessively because i had nothing to do um, and then started checking down older films and sort of studying film books, and I just became obsessed with cinema. And then initially I wanted to be a film critic, but again, on the side. Um, and I, I just never thought, like, becoming a filmmaker was a viable thing for someone in my position, um, or that I could, I don't know, I, I didn't think, I think you'd have to be wealthy for one to sort of pursue something like that. Uh, and we, God knows we never were. Um but then the first time I became very adamant about it was when I made, like, the first short film I ever made was in year 11, I think, in high school. Uh, so 17, um, and it was a massive production. I'm always very ambitious. Um, and I was just, yeah, I just became very obsessed with it. I'm like, no, this is definitely what I'm going to do, even if I fail at it. Um, I was what, was the, what was the premise of that short? Oh God! Uh, <laughs> what, what what made it a big production? <laughs> it was eighteen minutes, like <laughs> yeah, for one, and it was a cast of like let's say twelve speaking parts, right? Kind of thing. It was about the making of another film, and like a lot of the, there were very. I I like to sort of you know even then I was still doing it. I like to kind of create webs of relationships that are kind of toxic to each other, and like you know big groups of people that are very intensely connected. Um, which necessarily requires a lot of scenes and dialogue and cast and then eventually locations. Um, so, yeah, no, it was massive and it was 18 minutes. And, yeah, it was about the making of a terrible slasher horror movie with lots of creative um, problems. I, would, I guess you 
Uh, it's terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> so it's not on your website. Uh, no, no. Um, even if I had a website, this would not be on it. Um, and I don't think any of my like high school friends would appreciate that becoming public. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's never gonna be on anyone's website. Yeah. But yeah, that was the first one. But that and that gave you that feeling of like, oh fuck, this is this is really cool. I really like this process. I want to see what this is about absolutely i mean it was sort of i mean as terrible as it is it's definitely like i created a story with a world in it and like a world of characters relationships and things and just you know even the side of creating shots and organizing like how people you know moving the composition and like kind of finding interesting compositions um yeah, I, like a, a lot of the time you get people who say, um, you know, th- there's a, especially at least in this industry with directors, apparently you're either supposed to be a camera director or an actress director that you like one or the other. And I never, I, a, I find that very stupid. It's like you have two things to do. <laughs> you can do both at the same time. This is a really <laughs> stupid separation. But anyway, but um, no, I always was very excited by both aspects of the filmmaking, even in that shitty first short. So... Yeah, no, I was I was very buzzed. Um, I remember before that actually, like we had just done like work experience, the mandatory two weeks or whatever, and I was uh, looking at all these law firms. Um, I did I did do two two weeks in a law firm. Um, Your parents I, must have been thrilled. Yeah, they were. Um, <laughs> but that's that that was also part of the realization of like, no wait, I don't want to be in Ellie McBeal. I want to make Ellie McBeal. <laughs> um, it was the late nineties. And no, wait, it wasn't. But Ali McBeal obviously had a profound impact on me. <laughs> it, was, it was the dancing baby, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, my God. You could connect that to the baby in space I had to draw at yeah. age 12 as well. Like, <laughs> wow. No, we are so digging deep here. This is terrifying. I wonder what else we're going to uncover. Stay tuned. <laughs> so aside from Ali McBeal, what sort of films, I guess, were you watching uh, when you went to the cinema? <laughs> I love that Ali McBeal is now a foundational text of my creative life. Yep. Um, you put it yeah, look, I would not deny it, I guess. <laughs> um, well, it was a combination of going to see things in the cinema, but also tracking down older films. Um, you know, most, like, most of the films I would have seen in that year would have been, like, on VHS, quite frankly. And it would have been, like, Sunset Boulevard and Some Like It Hot and, I don't know, The Seventh Seal or whatever. Um, I do remember actually going to... Video Easy, oh no, Video Busters, Thomastown, um, when I was like, I would have been 13. And I just found this list of like the top 100 films ever made. So I was trying to track them down. So, But I'm pretty sure that was the only time a 13-year-old went to Video Busters, Thomastown to say, do you have a film called Les Enfants du Paradis? I'll spell it. L-E-S-P-E-N-F-A-N-T-S. And I, you know, I did spell, they did not have that film. It turned out. But then the second one I was looking for was the battleship Potemkin. And again, I spelled Potemkin. They did not have it, but Video Busters Coburg had it. So they brought it in for me to watch. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the film I saw when I was 13, 14. Um, yeah, in terms of things at the cinema, I'm just trying to think back. Um, I used to love, I, I think I'm supposed to be embarrassed about it now, but I used to love Shakespeare in Love. I think that was an amazing film. And I still think it is an amazing film. I think the best writing um, in at least English-speaking cinema ever happened in 1930s Hollywood when they did scribble comedies. And I think that's the closest we came up in the 90s to like a classically constructed scribble comedy. Um, I love The Thin Red Line, and I still do, and that's still my favorite film of the 90s. Um, 
LA Confidential. Oh, I was obsessed with American Beauty. That was my favorite film for a long time. Actually, 99 was a great year because you had American Beauty, Being John Malkovich, All About My Mother, Homotoverse, still my favorite living filmmaker. Um, we still allowed to like American Beauty? Oh, I definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't freaking write it. That's true. Come on. That's true. Um, you know, I am very much a separate the art from the artist person and not because of convenience because I happen to be an artist, but it's just <laughs> like, I mean, really, if you, I recently read a biography of um, Barbara Stanwyck, who's my favorite actress, and just like, it was a very, it was by no means a salacious scandal searching kind of thing, piece of writing. It was a great piece of writing and very kind of, capturing the era like both politically and in terms of the entertainment industry of the time but like every time you brought she brought up a director and often one i would have admired like you know there's a rape story or there's some kind of horrific abuse so it's sort of like i think frank capra was one of the people that was mentioned as um yeah like there was a pretty pretty bad incident that seemed you know i'm pretty confident it would have taken place and so that means you kind of like it's a wonderful life either <laughs> and it's just i i'm sort of like no i'm sorry i have to separate the art from the artist because like pretty much all male artists were kind of horrible so that yeah. means we have to just delete all of art up until like i don't know 20 minutes ago basically <laughs> so <laughs> and this yeah. podcast is 21 minutes old so the first there you minute's go. gone yeah there you go yeah yeah i i uh, i i think i think you're right because well, I don't know. I guess it's a, it's a very thin line, and it's a very hard sort of conversation to have in mm. one in one sense. But I'm also specifically referring to kind of work that's a bit older now. You know, like in terms of supporting the work of currently working mm. filmmakers, it's a different conversation entirely. Yeah, but absolutely. Like, I don't feel like Frank Capra's films now need to be deleted from the memory. Yeah. Um, or, well, there's other names that are way more obvious that we could bring on, but yeah. Yeah. So watching these films, making your own sort of shorts sort of towards the end of high school was going somewhere like the VCA. Was that always like, that's where I'm I'm seeing myself moving towards or was it more uh, an evolution? Um, well, I only found out the VCA existed when I was in year 11 after I just made that short film. Um, and from the moment I found out it existed, I was like, okay, that's what I need to do in life. Just get in. Um, and I applied like, while I was in year 12, I applied and didn't get in. And then when I was, I, I did creative arts at, um, Melbourne University instead. And then at the end of first year, I applied to VCA again, didn't get in again. And then second year, same thing. <laughs> and then, uh, I, I didn't even like get shortlisted or anything. It was just like knocked back in first round. Um, so three years in a row, I got knocked back. But then I applied for the postgrad when I was first eligible for it. And I got into that, luckily. Um, and yeah, thank God I did. Because I can't imagine like getting anywhere, at least in that context, with the kind of personality I am and the kind of filmmaking I do. Like I really feel like I need it that on my cv yeah and what were your parents happy supportive yeah no they have been um like my mom will say like i've just been you know since age four i was a stubborn child who would get into very detailed and convoluted debates and just you know you can't you can't throw me so um she knew that once i had my mind set on something it was just like you're not gonna 
<laughs> you're not going to convince him otherwise. So, yeah, no, look, um, from that first short film through to the one I just finished for Lexus, like, even though for once I actually had funding now, um, you know, my mom was doing the catering or, like, my dad would have been um, doing the location scouting with me and stuff. I didn't drive and I still don't drive. I actually still haven't become an adult, <laughs> technically, in many ways. Um, and, yeah, like they've always been very happy and they're very disoriented now that like it actually went to a place that you know i've become kind of successful and i'm start, like winning awards and getting work and i mean they're very happy but they're still like is this really happening it just mm. makes no sense um but yeah no they've always been very supportive and like i'm very lucky to have like parents who you know i'll call my mom or dad on like let's say sunday evening and say Dad, I need a live chicken in a shopping trolley in an abandoned parking lot next to Victoria Park train station um, tomorrow at 7 p.m. Can you bring one? And he will. <laughs> he will find it. Like, it, this has happened. I'm like, yeah. you, like, and I, I knew and it wasn't like, it, like I was calling you in a panic. I'm like, no, my dad's going to find me a live chicken. I'm sure of it. He will track one down. So, yeah, on top of location scouting and catering and things, like, I could always rely on my parents for like, Standby Finding, props. Yeah, standby props. <laughs> Lots of other things. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess the process of then going to VCA was it it, it was sort of all on you. There was no you, you weren't having to sort of contend with anything else. It was just about going to this school and getting the kind of post grad education that you were hoping for. Yeah. Um I remember that was one of the times of my life where I've been the most relaxed because I felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in the right place. My, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if I could call it a career, but my career is, is going in the right direction. And like, uh, you know, it was my chance to kind of make the films I wanted to make with support for the first time ever. So I could write more complicated premises because I, I knew I didn't have to just rely on my random friends to be the actors and my friends are not actors, at least at the time they weren't. Now a lot of them are, ironically. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I, I felt like, um, I don't know if education was, I, I don't know if I would even call it an education. It's sort of like, it's an environment where you can kind of make films and meet other people who are doing it and watch them do other films. And then like, it's it's a chance to sort of, yeah, become a filmmaker. Uh, and I, I sort of firmly believe with film school, it's about what you bring to it, not what someone else can teach you or like if if you learn something from someone else like that's a bonus <laughs> and you should feel very fortunate but like i didn't go in there with any particular expectations i don't think i'm, I'm pretty sure i would have bitched about like everything every aspect of it because <laughs> it was 21 but and that's what we all did like we would get together at lunchtime and just bitch about everything that's wrong with vca and like you know that could be so much better. <laughs> um, what was the main bone of contention? Oh God, who remembers, man? Like I've I've got early onset dementia. Like <laughs> I'm not gonna go back that far. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It wasn't very interesting or relevant or yeah. true. So yeah. <laughs> but no, I remember that time fondly, and I feel like I got everything I should get out of a film school. So do you still collaborate with some of the people that you went to VCA with? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, I definitely send my stuff for feedback to people from that time and vice versa. Um, you know, I, I was telling you earlier, I had only had four guests at my wedding. One of them was a classmate from VCA. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I, I think again, I was lucky to be 
part of a group of people. We all got along very well. Um, and even the people I've sort of kind of semi lost contact with because we're living in different countries or whatever. Um, I know if I run into them tomorrow, we can still have a very nice, very intense conversation. You know, um, I still think back to all those people quite fondly. Yeah. Um, and coming out of uh, coming out of school for you, was there a kind of I guess culture shock about stepping into the industry? I mean, I know for me when I finished film school, like they don't kind of prepare you for what Absolutely. life outside of film school is like. It's just all about making your little short films and building <laughs> yeah. building your education, and then off you go into the world, and it's like, well, wait, wait, what? Yeah, in terms of like actually getting work, no, there were no skills. And I mean, I don't know if you can teach those things again. It's sort of like, it's such a complicated, at least in my experience, it's a very complicated thing. Um, yeah, no, I, I told you, like, I was feeling very relaxed being a VCA, feeling like I'm on the right track. And the moment it finished, I stopped that feeling, disappeared forever. Um, I've had chronic anxiety ever since, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and I don't even think that's an exaggeration. Um, yeah, I sort of... I still felt like I had, you know, a few more years to sort of like try and write things and do something um, uh, before I could like start panicking that my life is going on the right wrong track. But um, so I had about a year or two of like, I was like, no, it's fine. I'll just do my day job and whatever and just write and and sort of try and generate material. Because um, most of the stuff that you've directed is is your own writing as well, isn't it? Oh, almost all of it. Yeah. Um, I've kind of collaborated with some people a few times, um, but even then I've basically co-written it or adapted it very much to fit my voice. Yeah. Um, Nowhere Boys actually was the first time I directed someone else's writing. Right. Full on. Um, and again, I had a lot of script input, um, which is good. Um, but still, it was someone else's writing. You know, it wouldn't have been mine. But yeah, no, most of the time. And, and again, that was partly born of a reality like no one's gonna be like oh my god did you graduate with a master's from vca here take my screenplay and here's my money like <laughs> you just unless you're generating your own projects um or spearheading things like no one's gonna come and give you anything so yeah no i was sitting around writing things and doing my day job and i did some traveling and stuff that you do i was 23 when i graduated as well is the other thing here mm. um still a fair bit of life to live yeah, it didn't feel like it at the time. I mean, like, by, by 25, I definitely felt like time was running out. So, yep, I can relate to that. Yeah. I get my first feature done by the time I'm 26 or 27. I know, fucking Orson Welles spoiling it for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and then, so I had those two years of sort of just generating stuff and getting nowhere, no one answering your emails. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's probably not, I mean... Yeah, that's not time I would look back on without a uh, surge of panic randomly. Yeah. yeah. Was, would, did you always want to be an author kind of filmmaker or was it just something that happened because you felt like you needed to be, like you say, generating your own work? I didn't set out going, I'm going to be an author. But like even just that term, I don't know that... Um, um, like it, it's just... I think any director who's half decent and makes films, like you have a recognizable voice, but also other people contribute to what you're doing. I mean, I don't know, like, I think, I, I, I sort of like the term auteur is disparaged in some ways and uh, fairly and then in some ways unfairly. Like I, I sort of 
get a lot of input from people I work with as well. But ultimately, I do feel like the creative decision needs to be mine as to whether it's accepted or not. But in terms of, I don't, I, I definitely had ideas of what I wanted to explore and stories I wanted to write in a certain way, and no one else was going to write that in the way I would have wanted to. Um, so that was the part of the reality that, you know, made me like write and then direct that stuff. And usually by the time I've written something, I'm too attached to it for someone else to be allowed to touch it, so to speak. <laughs> but I was always very open to directing someone else's work and I still am. Like, um, I, I read a book recently I would love to adapt. Um, and, you know, even if I wrote the screenplay, I would still feel like that is someone else's, writing. you know, writing yeah. that I'm directing essentially because I would just be shaping it for, for the screen, which to me is basically direction more than writing anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if I, I think any director that's half decent is an auteur. Um, but I think that term comes with connotations that are a bit unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it's not a very inclusive term. No. Yeah. Well, I guess that that's the issue. Like a cinematographer, like Emmanuel Lebeski is also an auteur because his voice is consistent, persistent through like, no matter who he works with. Um, so I, I, maybe the term needs to expand to include people from other professions within the filmmaking side of things. But yeah, I, I would just see as an, as an author anyone who has a voice that's consistent no matter who they work with. Mm. What sort of things do you feel like shaped your artistic voice? Um, well, I mentioned anxiety. <laughs> a um, couple of times. Yeah, yeah, interestingly. What a coincidence. Um, I, I don't know. I sort of... I'm not very good at... like it, It's such an instinctive process and then you sort of once you've finished something you try to think back and intellectualize it um to try and find connections but um well like your latest the the short that we were talking about sort of you know at the beginning um would you look at her you know that's got a very strong female lead uh in in it and you know she's quite an antagonistic sort of character as mm. well and I would imagine that these sort of characters are probably consistent through <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through your work. Uh, that's true. Like almost especially the last like six, seven years, almost everyone I write or create is like a sort of uh what I'm told is an unlikable woman protagonist. <laughs> and I'm just like, and what about that makes them unlikable? Because it's basically me as a girl, like which right. is not that different from me as a boy, <laughs> incidentally. <laughs> um Yeah, no, I do but it's again it's not really a um like I don't really I, Partly, okay, yes, I was driven ideologically, but I remember reading the statistics like seven years ago that something like 75% of speaking roles in Hollywood films were male, and I'm just like, that's ludicrous. Um, let's do something about this. But also just in general, like, if you ask me who's my favorite actress, I will come up with a list of 30 names, and I would struggle to sort like, and you know, I will be with extreme fervor. Uh, I could tell you how much I love them and why um, and struggle to narrow it down to like five. Whereas if you ask me who my favorite actor is, like there's a, f a lot of actors I like, but I get a lot less passionate. I, s I tend to relate much more intensely to female characters on screen, but also in real life, I've always bonded with women much more quickly and much more intensely um, with exceptions, obviously. Um, I sort of don't really approach things in that categorical sense of um, I just have to write female characters or whatever but um it's just lucky that you know my interests in life tend to align with you know ideologically pure <laughs> visions i guess but um yeah no just because i do tend to relate to kind of very strong-minded strong-willed anti-heroines 
Um, like which sort of, I suppose, women or actors are you thinking of specifically? Oh, good God. Well, let's just stick to the living ones because otherwise we'll be here all day. Um, <laughs> well, um, Julianne Moore, pretty much every French woman like Marion Cotillard, Isabelle Huppert, Emmanuel Devereux, like Juliette Binoche. Oh, my God. Why did I not say Juliette Binoche first? Obviously. Um, we'll edit around it. Okay, right. I'll yeah. Like, I think this conversation needs to open with the words. Juliette Binoche. <laughs> and then just go from there. Um, uh, and then others like Amy Adams, Sally Hawkins. Um, again, I could just go on for a really long time. But but also, like, yeah, you said it's a strong female character, but I also, I, I don't really set out to write specifically a strong female character, whatever that word might mean. I'm sort of interested in a perspective. Um, uh, um, I, I tend to relate to the person I'm writing, whose perspective I'm writing from, and I just want to kind of capture that perspective and her way of seeing things um, because I usually find I have a lot in common with that. Um, and it's usually a person who doesn't kind of fit, um, you know, societal role that's been ascribed to them. Um, and that can be something in the sense of like, in would you look at her, the lead character is um, lesbian, but um, and in a small town conservative setting. But so, you know, that's an obvious way that she doesn't fit a social norm um, and her behavioral, like she does not fit, fit the female you know kind of uh preparing you for motherhood and marriage role that is usually ascribed to those girls but like uh the the character i've just written um for the film that's gonna play in sydney uh, the the 25th short film like that's a woman who's struggling with the concept of uh motherhood being a mother like what that's supposed to how that's supposed to define her behavior and life and interests and like again it's a not that I want to attack any of these kind of traditional roles. It's just more like um, there's a certain way you're supposed to behave, but it just naturally doesn't fit you even if you try. Um, and that's what I tend to relate to. Mm. Yeah. Would you look at her as um, the film that won the jury prize at Sundance as well? And also you went back to Macedonia to film that one. Mm. What was the, I guess sort of 10-year period. Well, we've spoken about two of the years that were anxiety-induced, but the next sort of portion, what was that like to kind of getting to that point of, you know, getting this um, this Lexus grant as well as mm. going to Sundance and things feeling like maybe they were clicking into gear for you? That's only been like two years. It's the last two, uh, two years ago I won Best Director at Sydney um, for a short film. Um, and then I made Would You Look at Her, which just got the Sundance Prize, and I won Lexus in between. Um, so that's just in the last two years. Uh, before that, like, it's dire, <laughs> you know, if you look back. And anxiety did not stop for, <laughs> at all. Like, I think it just escalated. Um, I don't know, just scrounging, trying to make connections in the film industry, trying to get... I did a lot of note-taking on TV series. Um, what do you mean by note-taking? Well, when there's a writer's room of people plotting out a TV series, there's usually like seven or eight writers and they just have a person who's a note taker. Um, and sometimes you can contribute a little bit, but you're not supposed to be talking. But of course, it's hard for me to shut up at the best of times. <laughs> um, so I did a little bit of that. But in terms of, yeah, I didn't, uh, for like the first eight years after VCA, I barely even made any short films because um, I kind of had made so many, like by that point, I think I made 20. So I didn't feel like, 
I don't know. I should be having to make any more, but um, felt like you wanted to evol- evolve beyond. Yeah, and even just like trying to think of a narrative that could fit in like less than twenty minutes was problematic. Like I, I was, I was writing a lot of feature scripts or coming up with ideas that were clearly feature. Even the f- short films I was making towards the end of ECA were like clearly not fit for a short film format. Like the, the stories were too big for what I was trying to do, um, and trying to cram them into it was twenty five minutes. My master's film um so yeah like just trying to uh make inroads send my screenplays to people and then like a couple of them were optioned and then went nowhere and then same with like tv show ideas a couple were optioned went nowhere um yeah like it, it's very emily easily summarized that like eight or nine year period is just like the most failed filmmaker that ever failed is how i just described those nine years yeah um and even so the film that won sydney best director was two years ago that was called you deserve everything and that was in june that it screened and i would have finished it in like august the year before and in that like 10 month period um i couldn't even convince anyone to watch it like it did it got rejected from 30 other festivals um so and i had made three short films in a row at that point within a six month span to try and you know update the showreel and show that i can do better things now and again they weren't getting to festivals no one was watching them and then that one got into sydney and suddenly everyone decided they want to watch my films um and i had a whole bunch of them that they could watch obviously <laughs> and they're like do you have any other projects that you're considering doing and i'm like yeah again 20 um <laughs> so yeah it just changed from there and like that film went on to play at i think 60 festivals now it is and the others as well and yeah the last two years have been very disorienting yeah. <laughs> after the previous 10 i mean you kind of make it sound like in a way that it's accidental that you get to this point and suddenly when there is interest, you've got all these projects ready to go or that you can kind of refer to. And maybe you didn't quite plan it that way, but how important do you think it has been for the last two years to have had that sort of eight years almost of just building a body of work, even though it like probably felt like you were hitting your head against a mm. wall? Oh, look, extremely. I mean, um, yeah, I, I joke that no one should have to make 25 short films, but because I have, when I was directing my first TV show, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it was kind of easy, um, in, in a great, like not easy, it was still very complicated and challenging, but like, I did not feel overwhelmed at any point, yeah. uh, you know, even when like circumstances kind of made it a bit more complicated than it needs to be, but it was always, it was a, a wonderful experience, but I don't know, I um, and even people on set were like, it doesn't feel like it's the first time you're directing TV. And I'm just like, yeah, because this, my, my generation of filmmakers were actually like extremely overqualified now. <laughs> like, because um, we've all made the 20 short films and like have had to put up with making work without any financial support or even crews most of the time. So it becomes, um, you are building skills even when you're stagnating in terms of like, you know, I definitely felt like my career was stagnating for 10 years or probably like, declining i would say rather than stagnating it was going downwards not not in a straight line um but yeah no i was directing i I was making a lot of short films and then every single one of them i think did i did benefit from even the shit ones especially the shit ones and yeah then i spent a couple of years uh unemployed and that again what do you do you just 
you have to do something. So I was writing a lot of features in that time. Um, so that now, you know, when I'm talking to people and they're asking me about projects, I'm like, yeah, there's a whole slate. And usually, you know, someone emails you, emails me and they'll say, so do you have any features? I'm like, yes, I have 10. Here is a summary of all 10 in the attached document. They'll be like, oh, wow, that's a lot. Are they all finished screenplays? I'm like, yes, yes, they are, because I was unemployed for a really long time. Um, so, yeah, there's been a benefit to that. And I think it's actually, um, as much as 26-year-old me would probably disagree, but I think it was beneficial that, you know, the opportunities I get now that I didn't get them at the time, because I don't think I was fully formed as a filmmaker by any means as a writer or as a director. So having had to kind of scrounge for as long as I have and sort of create my own opportunities and, you know, put up with like really difficult and challenging situations, um, I think I've benefited from it creatively now. Mm, I suppose it's in the same way that a place like VCA generally won't take someone straight out of high school Mm. because they don't have a few years of life experience to then sort of be shaped similarly unless you're extremely lucky or right place, right time, or no, have the right relative, you're probably not going to get a job working on, you know, directing TV or a film until you have that kind of adequate experience mm. behind Although you. Although you have touched on something that we, I don't feel like we emphasize a lot in Nepotism. the film industry. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I, not just here, in the UK as well. Like And the US, I'm sure. Oh, my... Yeah, probably. I don't know much about the US film industry. Um, so, it's sort of just like... I feel like 70% of emerging filmmakers who are getting anywhere are like related to someone. And like often they're very good. I don't even, and that's why I don't even want to say specific names. Um, I'm sure it's across every industry really. It's exactly. Like, I'm, I don't I'm sure it's not film, but no. it's, it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting paradigm because if you had, or if I had kids that decided they wanted to work in film and I had built myself a successful career to a point where I could go, well, I'm not going to give you a job as, a director on a film yeah. that I'm producing, but if you want to go and make people coffee and, you know, do a week of work experience or come and, you know, I, I feel like that's something that I would want to give. But then at the same time, like you say, you kind of culturally mm. start to lose something if it's kind of the same families or the same voices or the same whatevers that are, that are being heard, particularly I think when it comes to government funding and, mm, mm, and, and those sort of opportunities. Absolutely. You know, I don't think, uh, I don't, well, it's a systematic thing as well. Like that's why it's not about a matter of individuals. Cause as if you don't, I mean, I'm definitely not going to have children. Oh my God, I'll be the worst parent, but <laughs> no, but if I did like, of course I would be like, yes, my child's going to be the runner on this production or what, like, cause I feel like she or he would be capable of doing that job for yeah. one confidently. But, um, oh my God, if I had a child and that child had a driver's license, that would be so interesting. Cause <laughs> I'm like, does that, I don't even know if I'd be the parent in that situation, but anyway, it sounds um, like a good reason to have a child. Yeah. Oh my God. You've, you've, yeah. This has been a very inspiring chat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so like that's why I, I don't think it's fair to like blame individuals in that case or even, you know, the child, like what so you happen to have been born to like creatively successful people. So does that mean you're not allowed to make films now? Like, you know, it, it's not fair to put an onus on any single person, but like when it becomes a pattern, I don't know. I, I, I wish there was some way to sort of address that to by giving other people who are not related to <laughs> to filmmakers opportunities i guess yeah yeah i understand what you mean it's it's a it's a very yeah i guess it's a very strange kind of paradigm to to tackle um did you ever go i I, when you're talking about being a runner i was thinking about there was one point where i was um 
it was probably about three or four, maybe even five years ago, where I felt like I really wanted to be working as a director and kind of take a step up to do, I mean, a director's attachment or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I couldn't get a job doing that. And I was just like pulling my hair and I'm like, fuck it. I don't want to go uh, do hospitality work. I've kind of done you know, worked in a cinema for however many years and and done whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to go and get a job as a runner. At least that way I'll be working on set. And they wouldn't hire me as a runner because they said I was too experienced and I would get bored. (laughs) That's so funny. So I couldn't get a job doing what I wanted to do because I didn't have enough experience and I couldn't get a job doing the other thing because I had too much experience. It's just like, what what the fuck am I supposed to do? No, that's the problem. Like, yeah, no, I was never qualified to be a runner because I don't have a license again. No, again, <laughs> I <never had> that <laughs> problem. But um, I mean, I got the note taking thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that, that's that's, true. that's actually the interesting part. Like, I always felt that my first breakthrough in the industry, if it ever would happen, and I wasn't convinced that it would, would be as a writer on an epi- like I, that I would get to write an episode of a show. You know, after working on it. Well, actually, I was a, I was the note taker on Noah Boys for four years, um, and four seasons. So. I would have thought I'd get the writing gig, but then when I won the award and it said best director, people started looking at me as a director more than a writer, even though I'm pretty sure those awards were handed out a little bit arbitrarily. There's just like, the jury liked three these three films and it's like, okay, well, let's just give this one short film, this one director, screenplay, you know. Um, but I was labeled as director from that point on. So every time anyone has spoken to me about anything, it's to direct something, not to write it. Um, even though I would argue the writing in that film is way better than the direction. So <laughs> the direction is not very good, <laughs> but never mind. But it was um, the best that year. Yeah. Yeah. No, if anyone asks, that's what you should say. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's the problem with directing. Like it's kind of, even if you're a runner though, I don't really see a clear line to going from that point to directing. Well, that's more going towards producing. I would think definitely because you're going into the AD world. Really? Exactly. In the, in that sense. Yes. But, um, I think that's partly why it's so hard to break through. It's like you can't be an apprentice. Um, you can do an attachment or yeah. several, but still, you know, it's very easy to make creative decisions by sitting around and watching someone else fuck up and you can decide what you would have done better. But like when you're in the middle of the situation, it's a very different mm. <laughs> experience. And, um, you know, I understand why a producer would be like not that keen to just put any random attachment, <laughs> promote them to directing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you kind of have to work your way into it by doing, yeah, generating your own material somehow while, you know, being a waitress essentially, because how the fuck are you making money in the meantime? Um, and yeah, I don't even, I don't know that I was, I I feel very lucky to have kind of ended up in this position now where I'm getting this work, but yeah, but I mean, it's a grind as well. It's not like, (laughs) I think that that kind of luck is a cross section that cross section of you know you've worked this hard to this point now you the opportunities are starting to come your way and you're pre- you're prepared because of all of that time mm. and experience you you're ready for those like we've been discussing the whole way through yeah it's it's that kind of uh building that body of work so that then you can you're prepared for these moments and also people kind of would know me by now as well, even though I was just a lowly assistant or whatever. Like I've met a lot of people just from working on various projects. And so, you know, if my name pops up in a newsletter as an award winner, they would connect it to, I mean, that's why people wanted to watch my film after it won an award. They already knew me and they're like, oh, we didn't know that you were literate, you know, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so I'm kidding. And like, 
fair enough because in terms of like trying to support new voices like i mean there's probably eight thousand people who are qualified for this one piece of work you can offer and they're all probably really good so it's like how does someone stand out it's like oh i know that person they're pleasant in a 20 minute conversation and now they've won an award let's look at it like you know it's sort of yeah i I think there's also that building a, a network and meeting people helps as while you're also doing that daily grind of yeah being in the industry is very valuable as opposed to sitting outside it and you know writing in the in a dark room oh completely like at the same time like i do remember thinking if there was a way i could do a day job and just occasionally you know do uh, get a project off the ground just a feature for a few months at a time i'd be fine with that like i don't i don't have like a burning desire to just be on set for the sake of being on set like i love being on set as a director but i don't really necessarily i don't think i would enjoy it just being there as an ad or something like that um Mm, yeah i've done that and have it's i mean it's it's great but it's also like i used to like it when i was much younger and i was new to set but now i'm like okay i'm not learning anything and this is i think and you want the to be person in who rejected you i mean you know of course you would be bored as a runner like there's yeah. no but i'm just sort of going like yeah but that's beside the point i'm also very bored as a waitress have i told you that <laughs> it's like i don't think that you're understanding what i'm asking you yeah but um yeah yeah and what was it like to go to sundance because that's like one of those kind of filmmaking meccas not only to go but to actually win a, a huge award as well and to kind of be yeah. in, in in the midst <laughs> of funny. to be in the midst of that whilst also kind of having got this award or not this award but this grant from Lexus which I think is it's what given to three people a year or something yeah uh, four but yeah four yeah, yeah um yeah and I got the Screen Australia grant at the same time as well so yeah. it was a crazy time yeah um yeah it's funny because I had like 15 years of not even being nominated for stuff to suddenly just like winning awards all over the place and it was just hilarious um but um no sundance was it was was intense like i think i got like an hour of sleep a night um and i'm not sure i ever had a proper meal at any point and i had a lot of alcohol (laughs) so alcohol's a meal right yeah well a lot of the time it was for me um and i'm not yeah anyway (laughs) (laughs) i don't usually live in that way so it was a very hallucinatory experience i would say for most of it um and yeah, the award was nice, but I, I don't know. I'm actually, ironically, not that much of a believer in awards. I find them quite arbitrary a lot of the time because, again, you have 10 very worthy films and it becomes random who decides, you know, yeah, who decides what's the worthiest one. Like, I've never felt like it was a badge of quality to me. It's, again, just very lucky and useful, admittedly. But yeah, I, I mean, even before it won the award, it was just nice to have people on the street come up to me just to say they like like the film and just order you know people who were just there to watch films they weren't trying to like give me their card or whatever <laughs> like just <laughs> yeah like it, that was also disorienting oh you just come, came up to me to say something nice that's the end of that transact wow that's so strange okay thank you much appreciated <laughs> so that was something nice about sundowns um and yeah it was still happening through to the final day um so it was good but um yeah, and the award was a. I, I I wasn't expecting anything 
at all. So I was just having a chat to a, a random person I just met at that awards night, and it was very crowded and noisy, and no one was really that invested in the awards, I think. Or maybe we all were secretly and just pretending we weren't. <laughs> um, but I was like, I don't know, um, in a state where, I guess, yeah, all the alcohol meals had maybe my focus wasn't in the right space. So I was just chatting to this uh, woman I met and she was a writer for one of the films in my program and we were getting along really well. Um, I think she was of Hispanic background and like for some reason like that aligns very closely with the experiences of someone who's been raised by Macedonians. So we're just <laughs> comparing family stories. <laughs> and then suddenly her film got called for an award and she just went off and it was cool and exciting and uh, whatever. And then... Five minutes later, my film got like called up for an award, and the next thing is, I saw her in the green room, and we were just going like we were just having a really ordinary conversation five minutes ago, and this is just such a like you know things just changed a lot in the last five minutes, you know, and especially in that case, the person who gave me the award is a writer I've been idolizing since literally age eighteen when yeah, I wow. first started making films. Um, he, he's a graphic novelist called um, Chris Ware and one of my top 10 works of art of all time is a Jimmy Corrigan which he wrote um, that must have been quite a fucking trip well yeah because as soon as they announced A I didn't even know he was on the jury and or I didn't know there was a jury or whatever I, I, mean, I assume there is but like I, I didn't look up these things I'm sure my mother would have she gets obsessed with awards <laughs> but um so they announced like you know it's a com initially I asked him as a comic book artist and I'm like oh this is clearly someone cool I couldn't possibly ever know because I'm not very connected to pop culture um, but like literary comic novels oh no I know those so when they said Chris Ware I'm just like did I hear that name right and I was like literally Google imaging him to make sure it's the person I'm thinking of and then comparing it to the Google result you know uh, <laughs> and then yeah I was like no I'm pretty sure that's and, and at that point my name got called out and I was there with my producer, Jess Guerrero. Uh, and she just looked at me and I don't know, I kind of ran, ran up to the podium and he shook my hand and I'm like, Chris, where is it? Like, and then I didn't get to finish my sentence. It was as I was giving my speech. I'm like, you know, when you say Chris, where like Jimmy Corrigan, Chris, where that's who you mean? You know? And he was all disoriented because apparently he's not used to being recognized. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, yeah, I was, like like I said, hallucination from moment one to the final moment of like, I don't know what's going on. And then in the green room, he came up to me to get a selfie. And I'm just like, this is just the weirdest thing that's <laughs> happened to me in life. You know, he, he, yeah, he writes those graphic novels and they're enormous. So he literally makes up a third of my book, one of my bookshelves. Like, yeah, no, I kind of, I called my husband immediately. I'm just like, okay, so I won an award, but Chris Ware was there. <laughs> <laughs> He goes, Chris Ware, is in Jimmy Carr and Chris Ware. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it was, it was a really good experience. Yeah. I have to say. And and I could imagine one that opened the doors for a lot more opportunity to sort of come through. Well, ironically, actually, um, I wasn't... Um, I didn't get that many emails or people approaching me. Um, definitely not in Australia, but even internationally. Um, but the ones that did are, let's just say enough. <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I feel very, I mean, I, I wasn't like fielding all these emails or anything. There was, we're talking single digits, but the ones, uh, the people I'm in contact with are wonderful and that's all I need in life mm. right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so it was good in the sense of definitely connected me to the people I admire and whose work I admire and I want to work with. 
Um, but it's not that cliche of like suddenly everyone wants to know you. You're like, no, no one. Um, the only people who added me on Facebook were random Macedonians. So, <laughs> although a hundred of them. Um, so yeah, no, it was kind of, and that's another thing about Sundance. It was just like both the positives and the negatives are completely the opposite to what you expect. Um, and it's continued since then. Like it's, um, the experience since then has been like very different to what I would have expected a Sundance award means. Um, but I also, I definitely do not want to complain. I feel like I'm in a good spot. Yeah, it seems like it. And um, My Boy Oleg, which is your Lexus film, is premiering at Sydney Film Festival. It must be pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is in Ju- mid-June. Yeah, cool. Um, and what's the sort of... I know you, the last three days you've had nothing to do, but what's the, <laughs> what, what's the sort of plan? I was looking at the trailer code for it, actually. So I had like 20 minutes of work. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you cut your own trailers? Um, no, it was... I've never done a trailer in my life. I didn't realize we were doing one. Um, I have a very great producer who kind of like we've come in under budget. When does that ever happen? Wow! I was like, right, just how much do I owe you? Two thousand, three thousand, five thousand. I don't have money. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's un- like it's finished, and she's using the money for festival submissions. Like it's it's been and trailers and things. And like, oh, so someone else can do that. I don't have to. This is amazing. That's awesome. Um, I can't say who is doing it because. I have a mental blank right now. Right. <laughs> you kept away from those decisions. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure she emailed me at one point saying, is it okay if I get these people to do it? And I'm like, yes, that's the extent of my right. <laughs> input. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So someone else is doing the trailer. Yeah. Does your husband work in film as well? Oh, good God, no. No, we could not survive that way, I don't right. think. Um, <laughs> no, he's an academic. Um, he does uh, research, mainly public health related um yeah no um but he's also the he's at the same time the first person who ever reads my screenplays um he's the only one who's read the one i just finished three days ago for example um but yeah well he's he's useful he's useful to me in the sense that he he's not from the filmmaking community but he he's definitely from the film audience community we we have a very similar taste in cinema and similar interests so um, and he has um, no tact whatsoever. So when he reads something of mine, he can be as offensive without realizing he's offensive. But you know you're getting the full, you know, honest response. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like talking to an ideal audience member um, immediately. So that's that's the extent of his involvement in the film industry, though. Like, he hangs out with my film friends. Um, yeah, none of us know what he, what he does half the time. And then he'll... Like someone will, out of politeness, ask, and you realize, oh wow, what you're doing is so much more important to literally everyone else's life than the <laughs> shit we've been talking about for two hours. Um, but yeah, he's very modest about it. Yeah, yeah. How'd you guys meet? Um, on the train to the same gay bar when we were both eighteen. Right. Um, wow. So you guys have known each other for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he survived through a lot of short film shoots as well, just by. <laughs> Yeah, I always tried to keep him away from a film set because I didn't want to. I never wanted him to see me stressed or you know on the verge of a nervous breakdown. But um, at some point, he had to start helping a little bit, and he he wasn't. He's an, he ends up being an extra in a lot of my films, and he's terrible at it. But there's no one else who can do it. <laughs> Just looks down the barrel. Um, yeah, although I do that too, so <laughs> right, I can relate. But it's more just like Maddie, just walk in a straight line. 
<laughs> and then it's like, okay, so rolling up for another take and he walks. It's like, wait for action. Wait for action. You've done this 10 times. You know to wait for action. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's also very supportive. <laughs> yeah. Lots of supportive people in your circles. I guess well, mainly just the three, but yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Goran, thank you for, uh, for coming and chatting with me and, uh, sharing your your story with me i think it's um you know it's such incremental kind of uh movements forward in in a filmmaking career so i guess it's it's always great to speak with someone who's kind of where it's all sort of clicked into gear um and to and to get that perspective as well oh thank you i mean i hope any of what i said was interesting to anyone but <laughs> i'm just like i don't feel like i've thought through anything of what I said but okay yeah cool like I hope yeah and it was really nice to chat <laughs> um, I finish all of my podcasts with the same question which is what makes you silly what makes me silly what doesn't I don't know um, oh Jesus Christ you should have prepared me for this one I should have put thought into it um, a, a, a lot of coffee I end up getting very high on adrenaline very quickly and I don't control what I'm saying very yeah coffee <laughs> But it also makes me function. It makes me smart sometimes as well. Yeah. And creative. So, yeah, caffeine. Caffeine. The answer to most of my life. It's a very good chemical effect for you. Yes. Or very bad, depending on who you speak to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thank you.